0: This episode of the Witch Wave is brought to you by Cat Coven. Cat Coven is a lifestyle shop for witches, weirdos, and warriors. All designs are the creation of Kirsty Farret, a queer artist from Central Pennsylvania. Find her illustrations on home goods such as fine art prints, pillowcases, and ceramic mugs to accessories like embroidered patches and tote bags. You'll love her items if you are also a fan of witchcraft, feminism, art history, and of course, cats. Witchwave listeners can receive 15% off at catcoven.com with code WITCHWAVE15, and in July, Cat Coven will be debuting a new clothing line called the Everyday Fantasy Collection. Thoughtfully designed on the East Coast and made in LA, the new line is inspired by the medieval and renaissance periods, as well as fantasy worlds. Imagine renaissance fair garb, but make it slightly more casual and comfortable for everyday wear. The new line is gender and size inclusive, going from XS to 5XL. So make sure to follow at cat underscore Coven on Instagram to get updates on when the new collection launches on Kickstarter. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Blessed Be Magic. Blessed Be Magic is a jewelry brand for the modern witch, creating subtle and tasteful talisman jewelry to remind you of your magic. You're a modern witch living in the real world, And maybe it's not that your lifestyle is a secret it's just that you're not exactly flying around on a broomstick wearing a pointy hat and you are not alone it can be hard to find subtle witchy jewelry that you feel comfortable wearing every day but that's why blessed be magic was born with over 700 five-star reviews these tasteful talismans are designed to be worn with your existing jewelry collection or on their own the beauty is Blessed Be Magic Jewelry won't draw unnecessary attention to your secret beliefs. Plus, you'll get to wear a constant reminder of your magic every day. Visit them at www.blessedbemagic.com and magic is spelled with a C-K at the end, and use code WITCHWAVE for 15% off your first order. Check out Blessed Be Magic's modern take on classic magical symbols such as the Triple Goddess and Pentacle in their minimalist jewelry that you can wear every day, anywhere. Again, visit them at www.blessedbemagic.com. That's magic with a CK. And use code WitchWave for 15% off your first order. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. And welcome to the Witch Wave. The moon is beginning to wax again, and it seems like everything around me is in a phase of growth. I'm recording this at the Mountain House, and we haven't been up here in about a month, so when we arrived, our lawn was high and wild. Now, I actually love it overgrown because we saw all of these wildflowers pop up and so many pollinators flitting around. But Matt really wants things to look a little bit neater since we're the new kids on the block. And so we had it mowed. And I gotta say, I'm missing the more scraggly, colorful vibe. Now, I'm really interested in the rewilding movement that's happening on lawns across America, and I also know that there are ways to kind of split the difference and rewild parts of one's land while keeping other parts a bit more maintained, and I have a feeling that that will be the compromise that Matt and I end up striking, but for now I have a lot of reading and learning to do all about it. My dream for our little plot is to have it eventually teeming with flowers and herbs, But for this first year, we're kind of just letting the garden do its thing and learning what's already there. And so I've struck a deal with Matt, which is that we will, for the time being, we will keep the lawn mostly mowed this summer while we see what mysteries blossom in the flower beds that the previous owner created. But this all reminded me of one of the first things I learned in my Green Witch apprenticeship many years ago with Robin Rose Bennett. And she taught me that there is really no such thing as a weed. That the concept of a weed is essentially a socially constructed idea, and that most plants, if not all plants, that are considered weeds, often have incredible properties and value, whether as medicine or food or just as sources of natural beauty. And this reminds me of anthropologist Mary Douglas's famous quote that dirt is simply, quote, matter out of place. And of course, this all brings to mind the notion of witch, that it too is a word traditionally used by others to describe a person who is considered out of place, someone who is transgressive, who goes against the grain, who's insubordinate or unconventional, and therefore threatening or undesirable, even though witches, as we know, also have incredible value. And to continue on this train of thought, I feel compelled to read one of my favorite pieces of writing, which gestures toward all of these ideas. And that is a poem by Nobel Prize winning poet Louise Glick. And I just learned that she pronounces her last name Glick. You'll probably hear it Gluck or gluck often. But yes, Louise Glick is her preferred pronunciation. So here is Louise Glick's poem, Witchgrass. Something comes into the world unwelcome, calling disorder, disorder. If you hate me so much... Don't bother to give me a name. Do you need one more slur in your language? Another way to blame one tribe for everything? As we both know, if you worship one God, you only need one enemy. I'm not the enemy. Only a ruse to ignore what you see happening, right here in this bed. A little paradigm of failure. One of your precious flowers dies here almost every day, and you can't rest until you attack the cause, meaning whatever is left, whatever happens to be sturdier than your personal passion. It was not meant to last forever, in the real world. But why admit that, when you can go on, doing what you always do? Mourning and laying blame, always the two together. I don't need your praise to survive. I was here first, before you were here, before you ever planted a garden. And I'll be here when only the sun and moon are left, and the sea, and the wide field. I will constitute the field. Mmm, I can't get enough of that poem, I'm telling you. Today's guest, botanical witch Sarah Ann Lawless, has a lot to say about flora that gets a negative rep because she specializes in so-called poisonous plants. Our conversation is thoroughly fascinating, informative, and wickedly delightful. But before we get to that, First, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Valentina writes, My amazing mum has been through quite a lot in her life. She grew up during Pinochet's dictatorship in Chile, and has carried unresolved trauma from abuse in her childhood and immigration to the UK for a long time. When I was growing up, this manifested as anger, which I have been blessed to learn was fear, and our relationship today is so beautiful. If I died tomorrow, I would be at peace with the bond we have cultivated. This, however, is not something she could say about her mother, who unfortunately passed away before their chance to heal. She is giving therapy another go at the moment, and I am in awe and pain by proxy that she is unpacking patterns formulated for over 50 years. She grieved her mom virtually alone, but the thing that pushed her into therapy was seeking relief from her chronic illness. She fought for quite a few years to get an eventual diagnosis of Durkheim's disease, a rare chronic illness where painful lipomas randomly pop up on the body. She has tried a plethora of medication and exercises to ease the pain, but is now confronting the role PTSD has played. I know you are not a medical professional, and I am in no way expecting a miraculous fix. But I was wondering if you know any rituals, spells, avenues I could go down to send some soothing energy into the ether for her, or any ideas that come to mind. As mentioned, she is Chilean, so are there any Latinx deities I could reach out to as well? Thank you for taking the time to read this and creating a space for so much knowledge to be held. Hi, Valentina. Thank you so much for this question and for sharing your mom's rich and complicated story. Well, today's episode is focused on plant magic, and so I feel called to recommend some plants, which may bring some of that soothing energy to your mom and to you as well if you feel so compelled. And you're absolutely right. I'm not a medical practitioner. So please do have your mom check with her doctor to make sure she's able to ingest these. Otherwise, I would stick to external usages, such as burning them or putting them in a sachet or a spell bag or meditating with them, etc. Now the main plant that came to my mind is called motherwort, appropriately enough, and this is a very bitter plant that is often used to calm anxiety. I usually take it in tincture form, just a few drops under my tongue or in water, and this is especially supportive during moments of extreme panic or stress. And for you, I particularly love its association with mothers, since your matrilineal line is in need of healing. And so I think it's going to have deep spiritual efficacy for you all, in addition to its physiological results. The other two plants that are coming to mind are lavender and violet. I know lavender can seem So obvious, and some of us associate it with grandmas and old fashioned odors, but let's be real, grandmas know what's up. And real lavender is so powerful. It is one of the most soothing plants I know, and it manages to be both fierce and so gentle. It's amazing, it truly, truly is. And then there's violet particularly the heart-shaped violet leaves, which are known for soothing, especially around feelings of heartbreak, heartache, or grief. I'm not quite sure about the UK, but it shouldn't be too hard to find, at least as a dried herb, if you do have trouble finding the live wild stuff. And in addition to consulting with her healthcare provider, she and or you should also do some reading and general research about each of these plants before using them in or on your body, but my experience with all of them has been extremely positive. Now, you also asked about Latinx deities, and I confess my knowledge base isn't as deep as I wish it was, but I do know that Ichel, sometimes pronounced Ixchel or ichchel, that's I-X-C-H-E-L. Sometimes I see it as one word, sometimes as two but she is the Mayan goddess of medicine, and so she may be someone for you and your mom to look into as well. I hope this helps, and I truly hope that you and your mom find the support and healing that you both need. Now on to my guest! Sarah Ann Lawless is a published author, artist, herbalist, and educator living in rural Ontario, Canada. She has been an herbalist for 15 years, creating herbal medicines, publishing articles, teaching at herbal conferences across North America, as well as teaching native plant and mushroom identification to private groups, local schools, scouting programs, outdoor education programs, and via horticultural societies. Over the past 10 years, she has focused on researching and working with the medicinal properties of poisonous plants and fungi, with a particular focus on medicinal nightshades. Through her business, Bane Folk, She emphasizes the medicinal nature of poisonous substances and promotes the education and understanding of their proper and safe uses to help abolish the fear and misuse of these plants and other substances. I have been such a fangirl of Sarah Ann Lawless's work for many, many years, so this conversation was a true thrill for me. Sarah joined me from her home in Ontario via Zoom. Sarah Ann Lawless, welcome to The Witch Wave. Hey, thanks for having me, Pam. I'm so thrilled to have you. Now, I want to give everybody the caveat that you are basically like dialing in from the wilderness right now. So we're going to do our very best with sound quality. But can you tell us exactly where you are and what the environment is like, just to paint the picture? I'll give a
1: vague description so no one stalks me. Um, (laughs) I live in Renfrew County in Ontario. It's one of the biggest but least populated counties in my province of Ontario. We're kind of the equivalent to the Appalachians. So we have lots of like, Almost like lost civilizations trapped in the woods with their own dialects and really cool folklore. There's nothing nearby except trees and cows and farms and vast wilderness. Like I'm literally right next to Algonquin Park, which is a really famous park here in Canada.
0: Ah, oh, that sounds so beautiful. And
1: how long have you been living there? I think it's been about six years for me. My family's been here for over 16 years now. Wow. And did you ever
0: live in a more populated area? Is this kind of a new lifestyle for you? Or have you always been a forest witch?
1: It's been a bit of both, actually. So I grew up really rural, living on native reservations and wilderness and farms. Um, I was an RCMP brat. So I moved around a lot. I lived in big cities. So I've lived in all the big cities in Canada. i lived in Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, Victoria, So I've done a little bit of both. I obviously like wilderness the most.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. So your work came into my life, certainly through the lens of witches and plants. Listeners will know that I've studied green witchery and herbalism a bit. And so inevitably, and I can't remember how, but somehow I fell down the rabbit hole and found your incredible website, Bane Folk. And I would love for you, in your own words, to describe to people what exactly Bane Folk is and how you came up with that name.
1: Bane Folk means the poisonous folk, essentially. Folk just means people, like the common people. Mm -hmm. And Bane means poisonous or harmful. So to me, Bane Folk represents anyone like me who is interested in or obsessed with poisonous plants, fauna, or flora. And so what was your intention behind starting Bain Folk? My intention was to create a website where people who, like me, are interested in poisons can find resources and information. I think of it more like a stepping point that gets you started in researching and reading and gardening. I really wanted to be a resource. I'm still working on building more resources But that was the main intention was to be a stepping point for people to start from and to be a source of resources for anyone who wanted to garden, forage, or just research and learn about these cool plants and as well as, you know, the animals and and the cool insects as well. So awesome.
0: Now, (laughs) I have written down, this is just my own language, that you are the priestess of poison. And I don't know (laughs) if that's a title that resonates with you, but I'm sure that some listeners, when they first hear that you are an expert in poisons, they might have a lot of questions. I know I certainly did when I first encountered your work. And one of them, for example, is like, whoa, why poison? I mean, where did this interest come from? And aren't poisons something that we're supposed to stay away from?
1: aren't they, but they're not. Poison is actually really important to all life on earth. It's not just something that's other and separate. It's something that's a part of all of nature and of us. We use poisons for medicine. We use poisons for protection. We use poison for even healing things. Like some poisons are soil remediators. Some can counteract the effects of chemical warfare. We use them for abortions. We use them for euthanasia. We use them as a means of defense. Mm -hmm. Animals and plants use them for defense, but humans have used them in warfare as well as personal defense. All the uses we have go on and on and on. So to me, what drove me to be so interested in them was finding out why people are so scared of them when they're such a huge part of our lives and our history. And I always wanted to teach how to get rid of that fear people have and all the misconceptions. That's a big part of why I've mainly focused on poisons is so I can teach people how not to fear them, how to use them appropriately, how to use them safely, how we already use them in ways that we may not realize.
0: Exactly. Now, just to root us, no pun intended, in what some of these poisonous plants are, could you just name a couple? Because I'm sure people will recognize some of these plant and flower and fungi names once you start naming them for us.
1: Oh my gosh, there's so many. There's so many. So many things are poisonous we don't even realize are poisonous. <laughs> you know, like daffodils. Yes, daffodils. Daffodils are horribly poisonous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To the point where if you plant other things around them, they'll murder whatever you planted. <gasps> if you cut them and put them in a vase, they'll murder whatever flowers you put in the vase. Whoa. Like ordinary things are poisonous. So the big name ones people want to hear are like belladonna, datura, henbane, Mandrake, Scopolia, Fly Agaric, Destroying Angel, Death Cap—these are like the really big ones, the ones that people might know the most. But also like Rysen, which comes from the castor bean, uh, another plant. Um, what else we got?
0: Of course, my brain hooked on Destroying Angel. Can you
1: please tell us about this? That is a mushroom. It is a white amanita. Species of mushroom. Mm-hmm. So it has a little veil. It has gills under the cap. It has a big bulbous white base that looks like an egg when it comes out. And it's one of the deadliest mushrooms on earth. So if you ingest it, you will die. Whoa.
0: And there's so there's no
1: cure. Oof, there's no antidote. Oof. And so,
0: how might somebody use that poison in a positive
1: way? For me, I I turn something like that, which generally doesn't have a good use. uh, I turn into a a flower essence slash mushroom essence. So I follow the herbalist Robert Rogers, Mm -hmm. who maybe didn't invent mushroom essences, but definitely is kind of the guy for mushroom essences, where instead of collecting the fresh flowers and water, you're collecting the spores from a fresh mushroom and water. And then to me, you would ingest that safely because it's so diluted that you could work with death on that level. It's sympathetically. Mm -hmm. With other plants specifically, you can use them for literal medicines, but for a mushroom like that that's that toxic, it would have to be sympathetic only. That makes sense.
0: So let's talk about some of the more witchy ones that you have named. I mean, I love Stevie Nicks, obvi, so of course I'm familiar (laughs) with belladonna. And some of the other ones you mentioned, datchura, henbane, mandrake, am I correct that those are all considered nightshades or am I confusing myself? Yeah.
1: No, they're all in the nightshade family, which is also called solanacea or solanacea. Both are correct. It's a very, very large plant family that's found across the world. And those are specifically both poisonous and psychoactive members of that family. So not all nightshades are toxic like that, but a lot of them happen to be poisonous.
0: Right. Aren't tomatoes nightshades?
1: Yeah. So you can eat the tomato, but you shouldn't eat the plant. The plant is poisonous. So don't eat the leaves and the stems. Same thing with pepper plant. You shouldn't eat the plant, but you can eat the fruit. Same thing with a lot of nightshades where you can eat a mandrake fruit, but you shouldn't (laughs) eat the leaves or the root or it might kill you. Whoa,
0: I didn't even know mandrakes had a fruit.
1: Yeah, they have an adorable little golden fruit that tastes kind of like a ground cherry. Have you ever had a ground cherry?
0: No, I think I've only had the other kind of cherries.
1: (laughs) A ground cherry is another nightshade, and it grows all over the world. But we have multiple species in North America. In Latin, it's physalis or physalis, Mm. and... It's just this cute little golden berries, and it just tastes kind of like mango and pineapple. The exception with mandrake being the seeds are still poisonous. So either don't chew them or spit them out or de-seed the fruit.
0: Fascinating.
1: Yeah. Mandrake fruit juice is a big deal in the Middle East. What? I had no idea. When I think of
0: mandrake, I think, of course, of those old engravings that show mandrakes as having, like, human faces and arms and legs. And they're allegedly supposed to scream when you pluck them from the ground. I love all of that folklore, but I don't know much about the real mandrake.
1: Yeah. The real thing is actually a, a commercial crop in its native countries. The reason why you don't find the roots on the market is because the fruit and the seeds are so valuable, they don't dig up the plants. It doesn't really look like people think it does. You, usually the leaves are wrong in the images. The roots are huge and massive. They can, in a in the larger species, like Mandragora, turcomanica, can become almost as big as a person. But the leaves are always really low to the ground and they're kind of like an unfolded cabbage. Hmm. With flowers in the center.
0: Oh, my god. And then goodness.
1: eventually the flowers turn into fruit in the center. But if you saw it in person, you wouldn't think, ah, that's a mandrake. You would think, well, that's a weird cabbage.
0: <laughs> so you're saying that mandrake is so valuable. How are people using it? Is it for food or for medicine primarily? What is making it so valuable on the market?
1: So the fruits are used for juice in like soda pop cans, mm-hmm. you know. In mm-hmm. the grocery stores. Okay. The seeds are sold commercially because they're valuable. The seeds are also used by chicken farmers. Mm. They're mixed with chicken feed and it's supposed to make hens broody and sit. So some big chicken farms will mix mandrake seed into their feed, trying to force their chickens to sit on the eggs because a lot of chicken, a lot of chicken breeds don't, don't sit on the eggs. They just wander off. What?
0: I See, I know so little about chickens.
1: The root is often tinctured and sold on the market as a as a medicine, just as a raw product. It's not usually refined. It's just a tincture.
0: Got it. Okay.
1: So those are the three main ways that it's mostly used. It's not one that's grown so much for the pharmaceutical industry. The pharmaceutical industry is really into Brugnancia Deter, and Belladonna right now.
0: Tell me more about that because I know a lot of these different plants are traditionally associated with witchcraft and they're traditionally associated with like the goddess Hecate or Hecate and so they have quite a reputation. How is it that now they are starting to get a little bit more positive PR, let's say?
1: I think it's just through small groups and people like me that are trying to say hey, these are actual medicines that we've never stopped using. They've been in constant use for thousands of years. And a lot of people think it's lost knowledge or we're not using them anymore, that there's something ancient in the past. Mm. But we actually still use these today all the time. Belladonna is a huge commercial crop for pharmaceuticals. They extract atropine from it mostly. Atropine is a really big deal in medicine. They use it for all surgeries. Mm. Uh, so if you've ever had a surgery, you've probably been given an atropine injection where it prevents your body fluids from being quite so nasty. So if they're <laughs> doing surgery on you and they don't want you to bleed out, they don't want you to drool all over yourself or all over your tubes, the atropine, it's anti-celagogue and an anti-cholinergic, and it sucks up all of your body fluids a little bit. Whoa. Yeah. It's also a, like a really, really powerful pain reliever which and an anesthetic. So not just Belladonna, but the other ones I mentioned in the same nightshade family, Belladonna, Datura, Henbane and Mandrake, they're all pain relievers, they're all anesthetics, but atropine specifically is a big deal, veterinarians and doctors, hospitals, paramedics, they use it every day, armies use it to treat the effects of chemical warfare. So it can reduce paralysis. Wow! Uh, Scopolamine is another alkaloid that's extracted from Belladonna, but it's mainly extracted from Datura and Brugmansia. Brugmansia is Datura, but it's just a different type. Brugmansia is called tree Datura. So it's just a super giant Datura plant. Brugmansia contains a ton of scopolamine, which is another big deal in the pharmaceutical industry. It is used by astronauts for anti-nausea it's used by people at sea it's used by divers it's used by ordinary people as a patch for people to get seasick or motion sickness even in cars etc so you can get it like from your doctor or pharmacy if you get sick by plane all the time that's something that people use it's also been used by sh- like shadow governments and agencies like the cia as a truth serum it's like the fabled truth serum
0: whoa 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 we have to pause on this
1: what (laughs) wait 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 say that again so scopolamine it's an alkaloid extracted from brugmancia and datura mainly and it gives you temporary amnesia while you're under its effects and it makes you very agreeable in large doses so if if, you know say the cia (laughs) they don't use it anymore purportedly But if you were someone that they were interrogating, they would inject you with scopolamine and they would wait till it hit you. And then you would freely give up any information they asked you for. And when it wore off, you wouldn't remember that you'd done it.
0: Oh, my goodness. I always thought this was the stuff of myth and
1: legend. I didn't realize there was a real. It's still used today. Not. So much by governments uh let's see who used it last i think it was used in belarus in the in the mid 2000s as the last example for interrogation
0: oh my goodness
1: but it's used by ordinary people today right now there's a huge issue for maybe the last 10 15 years where people using scopolamine to drug tourists and and rob them
0: oh my goodness okay
1: well, because when you're under the effects, you're like, sure, have my car keys, have my passport, have my wallet. And then when you wake up, you don't remember that you willingly gave them everything and you don't remember them at all.
0: This is reminding me of this is probably TMI. But when I was a kid, <laughs> I played a video game that I was probably far too young to play. It was called Leisure Suit Larry. This is a, <laughs> do, you know this no do you know this game? Do you know this game? I do. Oh, my goodness. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's It's so so politically incorrect. And you basically played this dude who was kind of, I mean, he was kind of a schlubby loser. And his whole objective in this video game was to have sex with women.
1: And... He was kind of an incel of his day,
0: you know? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Anyway, there was this one part where you had to give a woman— this is so fucked up— but you had to give a woman Spanish fly In order to make her like agreeable and sleep with you. And of course, this is terrible, terrible, terrible. I was playing this game, what, in like the late 1980s or early 1990s. It's awful. But that aside, it was like the first time I had heard of something that you could give to someone to make them more agreeable if you will.
1: Yeah, there a lot of nightshades actually have that effect on people in high doses. Like it's really difficult though cuz it's at that dose where it's it has to be high enough to have that effect on them, but it's also high enough that it might poison them. So a lot of people that use it in that way end up accidentally killing their victims instead of just robbing them.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, listen, this is a intense place to take a break, but we're going to have <laughs> to. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The Path 365, Daily Direction for Ladies and Mothers, Witches and Others, is a book that allows you to open your mind, body, and spirit to a path that is uniquely yours. As a gateway spirituality guide, it weaves coping mechanisms identified in neuroscience and mental health that address mind, body, and spirit, and incorporates them into an easy-to-read daily guide. Author Susie Newell received her doctorate from the University of Cincinnati with a focus on coping mechanisms. This book gently encourages people to open their mind to a spiritual path that feels right for them. Like a daily oracle read for the soul, The Path 365 takes you through a journey of positive self-discovery and encourages you to incorporate your practice into every aspect of your being. Whether you have a solid spiritual practice already or are exploring your options, The Path 365 is a unique guide to creating a path of your own. Visit them at thepath365.com for ordering options. And be sure to use code WhichWave for free shipping. And you can give The Path 365 a follow on your favorite social media platform. We are all in this thing together. Create a path that works for you. Longtime listeners know that Witchwave is proudly supported by BetterHelp Online Therapy. And I say proudly because I am someone who has been in therapy myself since I was a teenager, and I truly cannot imagine my life being as fulfilling and stable and supported without having had someone professional to talk to about all of the ups and downs that I've encountered along the way. I'm someone who has to manage my anxiety sometimes, but whether or not that's the issue you have, life can be overwhelming for all of us, and many people are burnt out without even knowing it, especially after the last few years we've all lived through. You might be feeling lack of motivation or at times helpless or stuck, you might be experiencing feelings of fatigue or detachment or more. And guess what? So do I sometimes. When I think about the large-scale issues on a global level, on top of the personal challenges I've sometimes got going on, it's a lot that we're all carrying with us. And sometimes it makes me feel drained and depleted, and I just need a place to Put those feelings so I can move on with my day. Luckily, none of us has to do that work alone. And that's why we can lean on certainly our spiritual practice, but also a mental health practice that includes some form of counseling. Talking to someone who has been trained to help me sort through all of these thoughts and emotions has been a game changer for me over the years. That's why I'm so happy that BetterHelp exists, because it is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Though I'm telling you, they've seen it all, so if you need to show up unshowered in your pajamas, that's fine too. What's also great is that BetterHelp is much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Best of all, Witchwave listeners get 10% off their first month of counseling by going to betterhelp.com slash witchwave. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash witchwave. So if you're feeling burnt out or stressed out for any reason, and I can certainly think of a few myself, I'm here to remind you to please prioritize yourself and get that extra bit of fortification and support that you need and truly deserve. So one more time, go to betterhelp.com slash witchwave and get 10% off your first month of counseling take good care. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Sarah Ann Lawless. So Sarah, we're talking about poisons, and we were talking about, of course, their most deadly effects. But I think that a lot of people, when they think about some of these witchy or witch-adjacent plants, they often also think about, like, hallucinating and going on some kind of ecstatic phantasmagoric trip, if you will. I know there's a lot of association with these plants with something called flying ointment, which, well, I'll let you explain what people thought flying ointment was, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about like these ecstatic properties of plants.
1: So a flying ointment was something that we first heard in the early modern period or a little bit before that, mostly coming from church sources, talking about how witches would make these infernal herbal salves that were made with all these poisons, maybe even made with a baby's fat. And the witches supposedly rubbed it on their bodies and it would cause them to leave their bodies and fly to their witches' Sabbath in the mountains or under a full moon in a wooded grove, whatever the local mythology was. People tried to study them, like Agrippa, Honorius, who's another fellow, you know, the guys with the the grimoires. And a lot of them would seek out women who were making these ointments and check them out, and they would have these mystical experiences where they would travel far distances without ever leaving a room. Mm. And they were like, hmm, maybe there's something to this. And then scientists started saying, oh, well, you know, maybe it was just all in their head. Maybe they're just because a lot of the herbs in these supposed flying ointments are hallucinogens. Maybe nothing's actually happening at all. Maybe they're just tripping balls. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Right. So as someone who makes flying ointments and who has used them for many, many years, probably 15 years now, I would say both can be true. I've seen them used for way more purposes, and I understand them to be useful for way more purposes than just what's covered in witch mythology. So in the mythology, they can also be used for shape-shifting, especially turning into birds, you know, hence flying ointment. They can be used for doing spell work, so they can be used for protection, for communicating with gods, for communicating with spirits, for protecting from them so they don't hurt you, uh, for protecting when you're astral traveling so that they can't harm your body or your spirit. I've seen them uh, used for like divination and oracle type of work as well, Mm -hmm. which has worked out pretty well. I've seen (laughs) them used for dream work too, where you apply the ointment maybe a couple hours before bedtime and then have crazy, awesome dreams that are way more vivid and memorable than normal. Mm. There's a lot of supporting resources that share that a lot of these poisons may be horribly dangerous under normal circumstances, but when used externally and going into your bloodstream through your skin, they're not going through your organs and your digestive system, and they're not having the amount of damage done to you as it would if you were ingesting it. So a lot of these sources are saying ointments are the safer way to go if you really want to work with these herbs. You shouldn't be eating them or smoking them. You should be using them externally.
0: Exactly. Now, you brought this up, and I know it's a sensitive topic. You're in Canada. I'm here in the U.S. I know we have to be careful about legality uh, in terms of how we discuss this. As much as you're comfortable, can you share your experience of making these ointments and perhaps providing them for other people to use, too?
1: Yeah, so I very specifically chose to make my ointments medicinal. So I don't advertise them as flying ointments. They're, they're herbal solves, they're pain relief ointments. I'm dosing them for medicine. I'm not dosing them for people who want to get high. So a lot of people worry, you know, I want to use this ointment or try this ointment, but I'm worried I'm going to trip balls just from putting like a tiny little <laughs> bit on me. And I'm like, no, I've actually dosed this for medicine, so you should be able to use a decent amount, but you know, on your arthritic knees, on your back, on your nerve pain, whatever your issue is, and not trip balls. You might have some interesting dreams, but that would probably be it. So for people that do want to trip balls, you have to be really careful because you can't really sell those items as straightforwardly. When it's a medicine in Canada and the United States, it's a lot easier to sell. These poisons are legal in ointment form for external use, but it's much more shady and a gray area when you're selling them as a tincture or an oil that can be ingested. So you have to be really careful with Health Canada and the FDA. Sure. If someone really wants to work with these and provide their work to other people like I do, you really need to check your legalities first. So there's a reason I just make ointments and flower essences, and that's because those are the things I can make that, you know, I won't get in trouble. Got
0: it. So, yes, I
1: know how to make other things, but <laughs> I am i don't want to get in trouble and I don't want people to hurt themselves.
0: Okay. Loud and clear. But hypothetically, yeah. if one were to hypothetically visit you in the woods, maybe they could perhaps have a more flying ointment experience, potentially, hypothetically.
1: You don't need to visit me in the woods. <laughs> you don't need to visit me in the woods. All you need is one of my ointments and a measuring spoon. You know, the kind used for baking, baked mm-hmm. goods, mm-hmm. teaspoons, et cetera? Mm-hmm. I sell ointments in one-ounce tins. For Canadians, that's 30 milliliters. And if you are a smaller, petite person then I recommend trying one teaspoon of the ointment. Apply it to the largest surface area on your body, whether that's your back, your chest, your legs, whatever you can reach if you don't have help. If you're a large person, let's say you're six feet and 250 or 300 pounds, Mm -hmm. you're going to need to use two to three teaspoons. If you want to use it magically, I mean. So this isn't just for, I'm not talking about pain relief here. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about you want a dream work experience. You want to talk to spirits. You want to try shape-shifting. You want to try astral flight, soul flight, whatever the kids are calling it these days, where your soul <laughs> leaves your body and goes on adventures. Yeah, that's what you're looking for, this is what I'm talking about. If you're a medium-sized person, You could probably get away with one and a half to two teaspoons. But again, I would always do a a patch test. So I recommend and a lot of people have copied me on this and that's fine is to start with a pea sized amount the first time you use it just to make sure you're not allergic and that you don't have a bad reaction. Mm -hmm. So an allergic reaction would look like a rash or hives, like, you know, an allergic allergic reaction. Yeah, yeah. That means that's not for you. You shouldn't be using that. If you get a rash or hives, that's not for you. The ones that can especially cause contact dermatitis are henbane and datura. Okay. I find belladonna and mandrake are a little more gentle. Not gentle in their effects, but gentle in how they are on your skin. So I also say don't put them in your mucous membranes because of this fact that they can cause contact dermatitis. Mm -hmm. Because when you put something in your mucous membranes, you can't wash it out. It's immediately in your bloodstream. You can't wash it off. You yep. can't control it if something bad happens. Yeah. So as much as there is the fake lore that's being circulated, that witches put it up their vaginas, it's not true. It <sighs> is fake lore. It's really old, centuries-old fake lore. No! I love that it fact. It is. It's not a fact. I'm so sorry.
0: They would apply it with brooms, and that's why witches fly
1: on brooms. No, they Sarah, didn't. how do you know? How can you be sure? So, I think it's from the witch trial of Alice Keitler.
0: Yes. Is mm-hmm. it Keitler or Kittler? I've heard it pronounced any which way.
1: This is where most people are taking it from. And it was an, obviously under torture. And people took that one witch trial and kind of went nuts, so that a poet wrote some really, really dirty, filthy poems about it. But the person who did the most damage, in my opinion, is Michael Harner. <gasps> Yep. In his book, Hallucinogens and Shamanism from mm-hmm. 1973, exactly. he did the most harm where he perpetuated this myth without really going into its origins. And then most people quoting it as a fact are quoting Harner.
0: Yep. See, and I feel really good about this because that is the source I found when I was writing my book. And I was like, I think
1: that's where it came from. Yeah, it was definitely Harner, And then a whole bunch of other people kind of ran with it. And now you'll see all kinds of news articles and online articles from reputable sources stating it as it's a fact. Right, right. It's not. Darn it. The most lore that we really find is where they were applying it to a chair or a broom, not to rub their vaginas on it, but to make the item fly.
0: Oh, to, to animate the chair or the broom.
1: Well, because witches were believed to be able to fly on anything. So the ointment was kind of like the fairy dust in Peter Pan.
0: Mm, I love that. Fascinating. So I want to talk about the association of witches with these specific plants. How did this all happen you know, it's a little bit like which came first, the witch or the um, plants. You know what I mean? How did this occur that we associate witches yeah. with belladonna and mandrake and all of these specifically poisonous botanicals?
1: Well, there's a easy way to go into it. So this actually goes back thousands of years, this association. And one way to find it is in the Latin word, Venefica or beneficium or beneficus or beneficii. Mm-hmm. If you go to like wiktionary.com and look these words up, they all translate from Latin directly as meaning both poisonous and magical at the same time. Mm. There's no separation between poison and spell work and magic. And I'm not talking about sympathetic magic. I'm talking about physical magic like the kind you see in TV shows. So there was no separation way back in the day.
0: Mm-hmm. If
1: you were a witch, you were a venefica, you were a poisoner. The way that we most people might see this is the King James Bible is a really good example, Yeah, where King James really had it in for witches, like really had a bad experience, really had it in. And he changed the Bible from the words poisoner to mean the word witch, mm-hmm. which is historically accurate. Funnily enough, so now all of the quotes that we hear from the Bible, that don't suffer a witch to live, etc., a lot of them originated as poisoner. Ah, there we go. Which makes a little bit more sense. I'm going to go into it a little bit more. The reason why they were associated as the same thing. Yeah. So the reason why they're simultaneous is because the plants were the witchcraft. It wasn't that the plant was aiding the witch, it was that the plant was the witch, the plant is the witchcraft. And how so a really good example is the Pikatrix. It's an old grimoire. Mm-hmm. It's full of spells and rituals and instructions. And a lot of them are really eye opening. If you've never read an old text like that, where they are specifically using poisonous and hallucinogenic plants for magical spells, but using the plants real physical actions as they work on people so a good example would be you want to make your enemy go insane to discredit him sure you give him scopolamine
0: Mm. yeah you
1: would give him one of these ancient poisonous hallucinogens like datura or belladonna or henbane etc mandrake's a good one and a lot of these the names in local countries of these herbs mean herb of insanity i see so you would drive someone insane if you wanted to do a love spell you would give the person you have a crush on henbane like a date rape drug to make them really horny because it's an aphrodisiac these are also usually aphrodisiacs so they'll make you really horny for you but it also makes you really suggestible um another use would have been just let me think for a second let's see we got insanity we've got love spells oh, oh we also a really good example is Circe from the Odyssey yep she, if you read between the lines in the story she didn't have the power to turn them into pigs but she gave them all a drink which I think was either mandrake or henbane
0: was this moly
1: no moly it was the antidote Ah, oh,
0: that's right okay drug.
1: okay so Odysseus shows up with his men She uses pageantry, which is very classic shamanism, with using a wand and pointing it at them. She drugs them, points a wand at them, and tells them they're all pigs. Henbane is famous for causing sensations of shape-shifting, of hair growing out of your skin, of claws growing out of you. So the combination of pointing a wand at these people who are very superstitious while they're drugged, would have been enough to convince them that they were animals, whether they physically changed form or not.
0: Wow. So was being this poisoner, this venefica, was that an actual sort of like vocation and their whole job was essentially to provide you with poisons?
1: So what you're describing is more later, like Middle Ages, early, early modern period, Mm -hmm. where you would have the apothecaries that would specialize in poisons. That's a separate thing. In ancient times, like I'm thinking ancient Greece, Anatolia, Middle East, they were respected as priests and priestesses. So if you were a priestess of Artemis or Diana back in the day, you could be a poisoner and it would be open. It wouldn't be a secret. It wouldn't be shady. It wouldn't be shunned. That would be a respected, revered position. You would be used in great battles, which is historically documented. Mm. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of, there's some famous priestesses that helped in ancient battles where they used their knowledge of poisons to poison the opposing army. So that, not to kill them all necessarily, but to incapacitate them so they could all be slaughtered. Yes. So one woman, what she did was, I think she was the priestess of Artemis. Yes. She fed this bull a ton of poisons, like stuffed him full of poisons. They painted his horns gold. They adorned him. They sent him off galloping towards the enemy army as like a peace offering, like, ooh, like, a, like a white flag a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. we've given you this sacrificial bull. Aren't we great? And them, you know, it was probably the first Trojan horse. And they were like, yay! And they sacrificed it and ate it. Because a lot of people have misconceptions about sacrifice by the Romans and Greeks. They actually ate what they sacrificed. Mm -hmm. And then they all got sick and, you know, vomited and pooped their pants. And while they're incapacitated, (gasps) the other army comes in and kills them all. Whoa, I see. And then there were also famous um, kings and generals that were also famous poisoners, like Mithridates was a really famous one. He was known for using his knowledge of poisons to win battles as well.
0: Wow. Oh, my goodness. I love this so much. So getting into the evolution of witch, because in my research, and I I make this point in my book, it's not like people were going around calling themselves witches And the word witch is something that traditionally was something that people would call other people to shame them and persecute them and so on. So it's not as though these people were calling themselves witch or the equivalent of witch in their native tongue. It's more that later people would put the term witch on them kind of like retroactively or retrospectively.
1: I agree, yeah, very much. I don't I think that a lot of cultures would have had their own terms for people who use poisons and hallucinogens, and then it would have been like your neighbor being like she cursed me and then suddenly you're a witch. When you yes. started off as a respectable person and then suddenly you've turned into the accused and now you're some supernatural entity that eats yeah. children.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So these vinificas Were they also healing people too and helping with pain management and midwifery and all of that stuff as well that we might associate with more positive kinds of magic or healing?
1: I would need to research that more, but I do believe so. Especially if we look into the cults of Artemis. She was very much a patron of women and children and healing as well. Mm -hmm. Not all poisons and parties. But she is also known for... What's a good word? Ecstatic rites and her ecstatic cult as well. So they were all getting high and drunk in the woods and having rituals. Yes. as much She was known for that as much as Dionysus is. And I know Dionysus is more famous for that. But Artemis' cult was also really big into everyone go to the woods and get high.
0: Exactly. Ugh.
1: I think that Artemis' cult would have also been in charge of like using these medicines for childbirth and abortion as well. A lot of the herbs we associate with abortion are also childbirth herbs. They might be poisonous, but they're not just used for the bad thing. They're also used to make children come forth more easily, like a baby that won't come out. Mm-hmm. There's certain poisonous herbs you can use that don't actually harm the mother or baby, but just force the baby to come out if he's too late and it's going to hurt the mother if she waits any longer. Like blue co- blue cohosh is a good example. Yes. Blue cohosh and black cohosh. They're both poisonous, but they're also both medicinal and they can be used as an abortificant or for childbirth. I think we tend as humans to put things in tidy little boxes too easily instead of realizing that they're multifaceted. So one thing that's always fascinating about poisons is that they are multifaceted. They are a medicine. They can be food. They can do all these things that are beyond just hurting and killing people. I like to teach people that so they're not as scared.
0: So how do you define a poison then? Just something that if you take too much of it will harm you? Is that what a poison
1: is? Kind of. Like there's the famous Paracelsus quote. He says, there is no poison. The poison is the dose. Mm -hmm. In all things is poison. All things are poisonous in the right dose. So even water can kill you. Rosemary can kill you. It depends on how much we're talking about. Exactly. So when you think of it that way, all things can be poisonous to us.
0: (laughs) Hooray! And on that note, we're going to (laughs) take another quick break, and we'll be right back. So as you might imagine, I drink a lot of tea. And I have come to fancy myself a bit of a tea connoisseur, not to brag. So when Snowy Owl Tea came on board as a sponsor, I was thrilled because they sent me a truly spectacular assortment of their teas, and I got hooked. My favorites of theirs right now are the second breakfast tea, which is blended with lemon poppy and toasted oats, and honestly, it tastes a little more like dessert than breakfast, and I drink it all day long because it is so delicious. When I'm looking for something a little more caffeinated, I go for their 11th hour tea because it's a blend of black tea, vanilla, and cardamom. And you know I'm a cardamom girl. And let me tell you, it tastes divine. I've also been drinking lots of their Armor Up tea to support my immune system in these trying times. And that's their blend of herbal tea, lemon ginger, and turmeric. And it is delicious as well. Are you sensing a theme? Now in addition to being tasty, Snowy Owl Teas are unique, handcrafted tea blends made with real fruit, fresh ground whole spices, full leaf teas, and blossoms. They are created with your health and comfort in mind, using 100% biodegradable tea bags. And the cherry on top of all of that is that Snowy Owl Tea's packaging is such a treat to behold as well, with their beautiful illustrations of woodland creatures and enchanting designs. And I feel obligated to mention, yet again, that the sisters behind Snowy Owl Tea told me that all of their best teas start as gifts for loved ones or for each other, and that each batch of tea is lovingly sung to, featuring a wide range of divas, from Dolly Parton to Cher. I mean, come on, does it get any better? No, my friends, it does not. You know you're going to want to discover their seven and counting varieties of tea for yourself. So pop on over to www.snowyowltea.com and be sure to enter code POTION at checkout for 25% off your order. That's snowyowltea.com and code POTION gets you 25% off your order. Would you like even more Witch Wave? Then come join us on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witchwave Plus episodes, ad-free Witchwave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. Rewards also include magical merch and giveaways, early heads up about my workshops before they sell out, and all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven, where I lead monthly rituals and video chats, and where you can connect to a community of other wonderful witches. So head on over to patreon.com witchwave and sign up. It's a fabulous way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thanks so much. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Sarah Ann Lawless. So, Sarah, you brought up birth control and abortion a few times, and that is just so resonant right now with what's happening here in my country. You know, I'm sure you've seen the news that it's looking like our supreme court may overturn roe v. wade and even if they don't this kind of thing is happening you know locally in different states around the country i know that you are not in a position to like give people advice around this in a very specific way but if you could talk as much as you're comfortable about how plants might be supportive in a world where people might have to start thinking about alternatives to going to a clinic, let's say. Whatever you feel comfortable discussing around abortion and birth control would be welcome.
1: Well, I'm gonna actually start away from plants where the first resource people should look for is misoprostol. It's a drug that you can order online. Even in a state where abortion has been illegalized, you can order misoprostol online and it is safe and effective. It is incredibly effective compared to anything else you're gonna try. I'm going to start there because though herbal abortion is an option, it is not better than pharmaceutical options we have available today, and it is equally as dangerous, and there's a chance that it might not work compared to misoprostol. Mm-hmm. So know that going in if you do research even if you find a herbalist who specializes in abortion and abortion herbs they will also warn you that you can try this but it may not work and you're still gonna have to find another option if it doesn't work okay so if you're you know really granola crunchy and you really want to use herbs just understand that it may not work out for you and you might have to go to a clinic or order online anyway That's my caveat there is Mm -hmm. if you can get access to something like misoprostol first, please try that first because of how safe it is and how effective it is. Mm -hmm. If that isn't an option for you, then I highly recommend looking up herbalists, doulas or midwives that are really, really well versed in abortion herbs. So let me see if I can find some examples for our listeners here.
0: And not just abortion. Also, I know birth control in general, there have been herbal alternatives. Again, maybe not as effective as being on the pill. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: Mm -hmm. not anymore. The most effective herbal abortificant is unfortunately extinct.
0: Ah, what was that?
1: I can't remember the name of it. It was a herb used in ancient Greece and Rome, and it was used so much they literally made it go extinct because they were having so much sex
0: and and also can (laughs) we just say that people have decided if and when to become parents throughout history this has been a very normal part of people's health care and people having control over their own lives and freedom and family structures and so on so
1: exactly this is something we've been doing forever
0: Forever. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I would like
1: to recommend a couple of resources for people that'll have better information than I can give in a short sure, time. Sure, sure. The first one is an academic book from Harvard University Press called Eve's Herbs: A History of Contraception and Abortion by mm-hmm. John M. Riddle. Mm. That's a really good starting point. And then the second one is a independent, like little mini chat book called Reclaiming Our Ancient Wisdom. By Catherine Marie Jeunet, J E U N E T. And it's available from multiple locations. Both of them are not going to have how to's, but they are going to be full of history and have lists of herbs that you can further study or go to a herbalist or a naturopathic doctor and ask for more information.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. And worst comes to worst, we'll all just move up with you in Canada, right?
1: <laughs> uh, things aren't going so well here right now either. Oh, no, don't, don't do that.
0: say that.
1: I feel we're, like- we're having some big issues with uh, conservatives and misogyny and white supremacy. So it's Ugh. no better here, I'm sorry to say. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness.
0: So listen, there is so much that we didn't get to. I know for people who are listening, who are very interested in the magical and spiritual aspect of some of these plants and herbs, where would you recommend or how would you recommend that they begin learning more about how to use some of these plants in their own magical practice?
1: Yeah, so I would recommend starting with my website, which is banefolk.com. I have a resources section on the top menu, and I've got book lists. I have book reviews. I have recommended resources. I have recommended databases where you can learn so much more. I'm just an internet occultist rando stranger. So (laughs) I highly recommend you go find people who are definitely much more experts than me. And when I say that, I mean Go look for knowledge from toxicologists, chemists, ethnopharmacologists, ethnobotanists, biologists. Look for like the, the people that this is their life's work. This is their life and education. They're not going to steer you wrong. Start there first and then go back to the magic after. If you're interested specifically in psychoactive aspects, there's always erowid.org. E-R-O-W-I-D dot Anyone who wants to trip balls, Please go there. Not <laughs> my website won't help you with that. My website will not help you with that. Not at all. So please go to them. They'll yes. help you with that. Another resource for magic and psychoactive combined would be entheology.com. It's kind of like Arrowid, but with better articles. Mm-hmm. For pure magic. I definitely recommend reading my website. I have a lot of the magical uses in my product listings too. And I've meant to, to take that info out and put it into articles. i just don't have time because I have children. Ah, there you go. It's all on my website. You can use my search bar and I have magical recommendations for any herb I use or work with or any product that I make. I will have recommendations for how to use it in spell work and ritual ceremony, et cetera.
0: Yes. Yes. So speaking of children, I know that these poisons are something adults have to be super safe with, let alone kids. How do you speak to your children about what you do? How do you keep them safe?
1: You know, I've been an outdoor educator for a very long time, almost 20 years and children are the quickest learners when it comes to identifying plants, I find. So when you tell them, this is great, you can eat it, they always remember it. When you say this is poison, don't touch it. They always remember it. Mm-hmm. It's adults that are the problem, I find. <laughs> They're like, haha, I don't believe you. I'm going to put it in my mouth. I've only had problems with adults, honestly, not children. Mm-hmm. But if you are a parent, and you want to grow these herds, If you're growing indoors, you need one of those enclosed greenhouses. It's like basically shelving with a plastic cover. You get it from, you know, your hardware, your garden store. And if you're going to grow outdoors, you should fence it in. Okay. Especially if you have animals that like to randomly chew on things. So uh, because I live on a farm, I'm going to have an electric fence around my poison garden. Mm hmm. Not everyone can do that, but any fence or fencing or some kind of cover, you can also use row covers uh, like the plastic row covers with the hoops or insect netting just to cover them. Um, You're not going to have to worry about animals as much because most wild animals, especially not house pets, house pets are, you need to worry, but most wild animals will know that's bitter and nasty. I don't want to eat that. And they'll avoid it. They're usually called deer resistant in the Mm -hmm. plant nurseries. If Mm -hmm. If a plant says, Deer resistant, it really means poisonous.
0: There we go. I have a final very self-serving question. And I know we have a limited amount (laughs) of time. But I, for the first time in my entire adult life, have a little tiny bit of land. And I have never gardened before. I have so much to learn. Even though I've studied green witchery and I've grown things in little pots in my apartment I have never had any sort of my own yard as an adult. And of course, I want to grow all kinds of witchy, magical herbs and plants and flowers. So do you have any advice for someone who's a complete novice, yet who wants to grow a little bit of magic in her garden?
1: Yeah, you got to get rid of that grass. That's the hardest part. You'd think it would be growing the plants, but a lot of the plants, including henbane especially, hate grass and won't grow with it. Mm -hmm. You've got to get your grass out of there, uh, and it can be very difficult and frustrating. Uh, The more ground cover you can use, the better. Bare earth is not good. So by ground cover, I mean you can use anything you can get your hands on, whether it's cardboard, straw, wood chips, sawdust, anything, so that you don't have bare dirt that'll prevent the grass from coming back and it'll prevent weeds from popping up and -hmm. you'll have a much better time gardening. My other recommendation is a lot of seed sellers have really good information on their website. They have really good growing information. So like strictly medicinal seeds is a good example. Um, And if they don't have really detailed information in their seed listings for products, they will have like a blog that has way more detailed information. So I recommend always looking for gardening resources instead of the magical ones. The magical ones don't always have the best gardening resources. I do write growing guides, but I'm a little bit behind. I only written a henbane growing guide so far, but I want to write one for each of my favorite poisonous plants.
0: So one of the websites that your site led me to was someone's site, and I'm forgetting it exactly. It's like Alchemy.
1: Yeah, no. um, Alchemy Works is run by Harold Roth, who's written a book on poisonous herbs.
0: Yes, alchemy works. And I ordered just like his starter kit of witches seeds or something like that for beginners. So wish me luck and witch me luck um, because I definitely (laughs) need some more magical plants in my life.
1: He has really good growing info on his website. He's especially container gardening. He's a really good source of container gardening info.
0: Fabulous. Well, listen, Sarah, there's so much more I wish we had time to talk about. I hope you'll come back again sometime. Until then, people can order your amazing ointments and tinctures and all kinds of things directly from your website. There's a feast of articles that you've written, so many resources, and you're also an incredible artist as well, which we didn't get to speak about. Is there anything else you want to make sure that people know in terms of how they can learn more from you directly or get any kind of magic yeah. from you?
1: Yeah, sure. I use my social media like a blog these days, so I do less actual posts and more social media posts. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at Banefolk, and you can find me on Facebook as at Banefolk Botanicals. That's where I'm posting the most these days.
0: Beautiful. Well, Sarah Ann Lawless, I am so honored and I'm so grateful that we finally got to connect after all these years. Thanks for being on the witch wave.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: That's it for the show. Thank you again to Sarah Ann Lawless for sharing her beautiful Bane magic with me. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on The Witchwire. The Witchwave is a phantasmophile production written and produced by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was recorded and edited by Josh Wilcox and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and I by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Laura Amtal, and Cece Paschal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and give us lots of sparkly stars. It really, truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchwavePod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. Please consider ordering my book, Witchcraft, or picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. And if you want more Witchwave or you would just like to support the show, please join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.